Welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Pigger, editor at the magazine. Uh, and for today's pod, I've got uh, one lovely guest with me, uh, Rani Patel. Uh, Rani's business director and, uh, well, sorry, business partner and director of cultural cl- collaborations at uh, youth led network Liberty, uh, co founder of Brand Share the Mic, uh, Advertising Week Europe's Futurist Female winner of 2021, and uh, one of Campaign Magazine's top 10 trailblazers of 2021. Welcome, Rani. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? What have you been up to? <laughs> I'm good. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, what have I been up to? I actually landed back from a very busy but lovely week in Ibiza um, for a friend's wedding and just catching up on the thick of work and what's, I don't know, seeing what happened in Cannes that was interesting. And really just planning ahead for H2. I was going to say, you weren't in Cannes then. You weren't, didn't get tempted um, to, to go there. Have you, have you done Cannes before? Do you know what? I haven't. And I think the year I was meant to go, which was 2020, it was locked down. And this year I had a wedding. Um, but I am curious, let's say, to go there because I've heard various things. But I got some really positive feedback about it this year where um Alex our CEO went over there and she said like it was the first time that she felt it was like so inclusive and um you know there were so many like diverse events that were really also prioritizing like black POC and other marginalized like creatives in the industry which you know kind of gives me hope for when I do eventually venture over there to have more of the positive experiences I've heard about than the negative. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's interesting you say that because, like, I think out of all the marketing events around the world, I always considered Cannes to probably be one of the uh, – maybe it has this vibe, maybe unfairly, I don't know, or maybe fairly, of being, like, quite sort of elitist and, you know, fancy yeah. and sort of – 100%. Know, everyone just drinking rosé and pretending, yeah. oh, yeah, we've done, done, lo- done lots of business. I'm like, have you really? Or is it just yeah. a big fancy trip to the south of France? Yeah, um, I, that's exactly what I thought it would be given. So that's hence why I've not rushed myself over there in my <laughs> 14 years in the industry. I don't know. Let's see if I ever make it over there. If things are changing, then then yeah. cool, great, good. Yeah. Um, go. You, I mean, you are one of the people that goes goes and changes stuff. So I, I yeah. feel so <laughs> you just charge over there and change things. Let's I, hope. Let's I, hope. <laughs> I guess on that note, I mean, obviously we we've done podcasts before and mm-hmm. talked before over the years, etc. But um, for those that don't know, can you can you say what uh, explain what Liberty do and and, and yeah. what uh, Brand Share the Mic does? Yeah, for sure. So Liberty is, I guess, the way we talk about ourselves is that we're a youth marketing and purpose agency. We're based in Brixton and have been since we started 21 years ago. Very proud to be a South London agency. And Brixton was one of its kind. And I think as um, the idea of advertising and culture marketing, youth marketing, purpose marketing has kind of evolved and become, I guess, a bit more mainstream in the industry. we're seeing versions of these types of business growing, but like we proudly, I proudly say that we're one of the originals. And what makes us original is that our focus is on the next generation um, of citizens and working in hand in hand with them, with brands to drive impact and um, shape their future for the better. So uh, our focus is on Gen Z, Gen Alpha, 
and um, we work with brands to tackle some of the world's biggest issues. So childhood obesity, poverty, um, inclusion, diversity, wellness, mental health, sustainability, climate change, all of these issues that are global issues that are impacting this generation and the generation to come and the lives that they will leave, live is what we focus on. Um, so that's what we do. Brand Share the Mic is something that I co-founded within Liberty in 2020 in response to George Floyd's death. And that was essentially looking at the landscape and understanding that the industry, even though it's evolved in 100 years, it's been doing it at a snail pace. What George Floyd did was kind of really make everyone sit up and open their eyes. And I think we all looked at our industries that we worked in retrospectively and was like, what are you guys going to do about this? Um, and for me and the team at Liberty, it was about saying, how can we create a more equitable industry by getting some of the biggest brands to hand over their platforms? And at the time, it was Instagram we were really focused on to young emerging black creative talent that are creating in the spaces that these brands occupy. So if it's KFC, it's food, it's cooking. If it's um, Love Honey, it's sexual wellness and pleasure. Um, if it's Vita Coco, it's it's vegan and uh, vegan health, wellness, plant based um, music. We work with so we work with so many music brands, um, and uh, O2 Music was one of those. Gift Gaff from Mobile, Google came on board. So all in all, across like eighteen months of activating, we have amplified sixty young over sixty young black voices across sixty mainstream brands. Um, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> is is it still going then, or is it? Was it kind of like a finite, uh, finite sort of project? No. So obviously, uh, sitting at the helm of that, as well as kind of doing what I do at Liberty, it's finding the balance. When we did it in the first year, or you know, from George Floyd's death, we did July, we did August, and I think we did um, October. Was it September, October? I think, and then we did three last year, and the plan is to do an, a set number of them. I guess it's how do we do this sustainably? Mm. And at the time, it was something the brands wanted to be part of because that's what was the conversation in culture. I mean, if I'm to be critical, the world has moved on and these conversations have become slightly more quieter. So I think what I'm taking the time to do is like take a step back and actually look at how do we do this sustainably and create the most amount of impact um, but yeah, so it's not gone. It's on pause. Evolving, um, maybe. <laughs> it's evolving. I think it's things move quickly in what we do. And I think it's good to take stock and kind of, yeah. Mm, sounds good. Um, I guess I want to do a little segue, actually, from that. To, mm. We were speaking about can, but like uh, mm. you did a couple of talks a few weeks ago, Advertising Week Europe as well. Yeah. One of those was about uh, female talent, right? And it's the key yeah. to future-proofing Adland. Can you can you do a potted summary of what that was? Well, <laughs> how did that go and how was it received? Well, it was received well, but that obviously... The, the summary is that the industry that I occupy and that we occupy, which is essentially umbrella term is advertising and marketing, has been set up by men and it's been occupied and the systems and the, and the ideas and the processes have been kind of led by men. But when we look at what we do as an industry, it's solving problems for businesses and brands and for consumers. And then when we look at those that identify as women in this space who are marginalized, 
actually they are the gift in this industry because they have been so marginalized um, for so long. They've actually had to navigate this world in ways that, you know, the everyday average man doesn't have to. They've had to solve problems. They come across more obstacles and they've had to solve problems. So essentially that makes them prime. That makes them so right and uh, I guess well-versed in how to navigate problems so that that's the that's the headline on that that's why women those are female identifying and other marginalized genders when we look at um non-binary we need to really consider their experience and how that can really come into play in when it comes to solving problems and being creative essentially it feels like as well, like I, I, um, I haven't been to Advertising Week in a couple of years, but I went yeah. uh, uh, the Europe one set in London from yeah. the second one they did. I think I did about five years in a row, something like that. Yeah. And it kind of feels like that you're, the talk that you gave, I don't know if that would have happened as much in the past no. necessarily. So no. um, a bit like can maybe, it, perhaps it feels like things are changing a tiny bit, um, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> well, it has to. I think, you know, I think there's a, unfortunately, not unfortunately, fortunately, there's been an awakening that the more marginalized you are, actually, the more potential you have. And I think people are realizing that the in industry is going to become stagnant if it keeps using the same type of talent, which has been kind of cis, white, het men. And we're in a space where our consumers need innovation. Um, they're living innovative lives, and that innovation is only really going to come from the most marginalised creators, I believe. Anyway, I want to I want to zoom into uh, the thing that we were, I, I guess, going to talk about. I sort of half the time yeah, these are these yeah. are my preambles, but yeah. um, the theme that we've got at the magazine this July is uh, identity two point zero. So yeah. uh, as uh, as as self expression evolves and expands, can the things mm -hmm. that divide us bring us together? So that's our mm -hmm. kind of theme. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wanted to talk about identity, uh, mm -hmm. how Gen Z are evolving, uh, mm -hmm. how they identify, what the, what that sort of means to them in the world today. And one of the things you co-authored a Liberty Report in 2020 with Freedom Media um, mm. about uh, uh, marketing to women and Gen Z Gen Zers fluid identity. Mm -hmm. um, what have you been sort of seeing in the last few years and kind of since you've mm. done the report and, yeah. and, and uh, how things evolved and changed? What's what's been happening? So what we've observed about this generation, and it's going to continue into the kind of the generation that follows Gen Alpha, is essentially identity is not a fixed thing. And this is the first time um, from the generations that kind of came before. So when we look at my generation, millennials, boomers, etc., identity was a fixed thing. So if you played sport, if you was a jockey, if you was a goth, if you was into hip hop, um, that was your identity and uh, if you lived in South London and if you came from a Caribbean family like those things very much informed your identity and that was fixed and that is exactly how you navigated life from start to finish and it was informed the choices and the lifestyle that you had what we're seeing with Gen Z and Gen Alpha is that that isn't fixed and it depends on uh, the time and place, it depends on their motivations, it depends on culture that's impacting them and also that they understand that they are multifaceted and they can kind of live a more varied life that has multiple dimensions to it. So they can be studying like science but really be into like, you know, Ru RuPaul's drag ratio and like really kind of 
express their interest in like fashion and like have pink hair while they're in the lab and then also be into like playing football with their friends five aside on a Monday so that's what we that's what we've observed and that's what we know and I guess when we look at how does that fold into self-expression it means that they are able to show up however they want to show up on and offline and I guess because this is the first generation when we talk about Gen Z that grew up in a digital age whereas with millennials we had to adopt ourselves into that digital age online has seen as just as a a vehicle for self-expression which means that the features that we have with AR you know with filters and sound and audio means that they can show up so many in so many different ways online and offline and they have a choice so actually I think there's something quite empowering for this generation as well about being able to explore a spectrum of identities and then show up how they want to in self-expression because of the digital age we live in they have more of that creativity um, to do so do you think perhaps it's like um, the digital version of uh, 70s glam rock, maybe? I don't know. The sort of... maybe, maybe, maybe. I never thought of it like that. I, I, I try and bring everything back to Bowie if I can, like with every, with every, uh, every conversation. But, you know, uh, just the, the, that ability to kind of play with identities and, you know, uh, reform yourself or, you know, if in a certain situation you could be this and then like two days later in another situation with another group of friends or whatever you can be something completely different I don't know I just yeah. like that the fluidity of it I suppose 100% like listen this generation I really rate them that they have the freedom and the openness to kind of explore that I think lots of challenges that maybe generations before have had with their identity has been because they've not had the freedom or the space to ask themselves questions or to explore it And this, I think, you know, my hope for this generation is because of this opportunity that they have, they are less stifled. And that's one of the key things that I kind of work around, which is like understanding that self-expression has been policed and it's policed in so many cultures and generations. And we're at a time where it's less and less policed. Mm. Is that even proper English? I don't know, but hey. Yeah, it works. works. I understand. Um, I, I guess also, how do you think the pandemic has, has influenced uh, this in, in a way? Like, has it, has it sped anything up or has it stifled mm. anything? Because, you know, a lot of, I suppose a lot of Gen Z, they were perhaps in the prime, prime, ty- prime youth and then they had to sort of put everything on hold for two years or maybe they had to retreat into online worlds mm. more, more than perhaps mm. before. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know if that sort of think, increased their online yeah. versus real life, you know? I think the pandemic actually was the biggest catalyst to seeing global resistance and when we say global I mean local I mean individual as well like the fact that we were you know in a chokehold by this like virus and that meant that governments were kind of policing how we lived our lives for the right reasons I get it but there were so many things that were kind of control and power taken away from us overnight and I think people then had to reframe and see the world in a different way and actually this idea of freedom really came into play what does it really mean because I think people realize the lives they were living before wasn't so free and the lives that they want to go on to live is like so much more considered about like these ideas of freedom so freedom is like the choice to wear what the hell I want every day to choose how I work where I work where I live I don't want to sometimes I want to wake up and be in Paris 
and do my Zoom calls from there, you know. So I think uh, the pandemic has been a, a catalyst for that, especially for this generation. Do you, th- do you think that um, how much of it is just confined to say to say Gen Z? Like like how much of it sort of bleeds through to other generations? Oh yeah, you know? yeah. So like, does it do that a great deal, or does it sort yeah. of does it lower diminishing returns as we move up through yeah. millennials and then boomers or Gen X so, boomers, etc.? Listen, what we're based around is youth culture, but as life, the world has evolved culture has evolved youth culture when I guess the business set up was like looking at people from I don't know maybe 12 to like 28 years old but youth culture and that audience is actually everyone because it's actually become mainstream culture um so everyone has access to youth culture because of like what is mainstream in tv in music in fashion but also the proximity that the older generations have to this generation of Gen Z and Gen Alpha. So when we talk about like millennials, we were moving out at university and not going back home, but these Gen Zers are kind of staying at home and living at home for longer, which means that their parents have proximity to them and their lifestyle for longer. And that naturally bleeds in to to the parents. So like from the language that they use to, you know, even this idea around TikTok, like families, are experiencing TikTok together. It's not just for like the younger kids, you know? So it definitely has bled bled into mainstream culture. It's definitely bled into everyday life and all generations. I, I guess I'm I'm always curious about that because, uh, you know, it's sort of how much like the, the younger generation is sort of driving change. I suppose coming back to the other point in the uh, uh, our monthly theme of like, is it, is it bringing us together or driving us apart or is it doing both at the same time? Um, you go on Twitter and you would assume that everybody's being driven apart in every direction. But I guess it's like you say, you mentioned like TikTok bringing perhaps families together in a, in a way that maybe they wouldn't have done before. So I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just a, how change works, right? Yeah, it's how change works. I think the digital platforms like Instagram, for example, I remember like joining it like 10 years ago and thinking, wow, I can like see black people like me. I can see young women like me. TikTok takes that further. We really get an insight into like a working class family in Newcastle's like day to day. And like because of something like TikTok, we see a spectrum of experiences which actually like that are different, but they're bringing us together because actually it's the relatability, whether it's like the comedy or the sound or the music or the fashion or there's a relatability in that, that we can connect. Um, So I think, yeah, the difference is I would like, you listen, I'm always positive. I'm a bit of a hopeless romantic sometimes, sometimes, (laughs) but um, I would like to think that the differences are bringing us together because of the visibility the more hyper-visible these differences are, the better understanding we get to and the more that we can kind of relate and see one another. Also, the fact that we all have differences and different oppressions, even though my oppression is different to your oppression, there's this shared empathy that you are oppressed and so am I, so we connect, but our oppressions are different. And that's something that we found out in the report as well, which was like togetherness and difference, yeah, was something that we, we talk about in that report. I guess uh, we're running out of time slightly, so I'll just yeah. kind of wrap up. But um, I just wanted to kind of, I guess, finish a little bit with how uh, how are brands kind of playing into all of this? Yeah. So, you know, are they doing it in a sensitive, measured way or are they wading in or how are you finding it in the last few years? Yeah, it's a mixed bag. Listen, the brands realise that they need to look into it and they're having to pay attention to it. That's number one. How are they um, 
how they're playing into it. I mean, it's hit and miss. It's like they're learning. I mean, when we talk about fluidity and, and like, I always look at fashion. So we know that more brands are kind of bringing out like unisex, non-binary, non-gendered collections. Listen, I'm a founder of a brand that positions itself as non-gendered. So I get it. I guess for me, that's fine to do that. But what we need to look at is the systems of which people are experiencing your brand. So when we look at most of the fashion online experiences that sell all gendered clothing, let's say, it's still categorized as male and female, men's, women's, right? There are some brands, there was one I've forgotten, I was meant to um, write down the name, that has men's, women's neutrals, which I guess is speaking to. But for me, it's just take that all away and just actually just do it by category. It's a skirt, it's a top, it's a bikini. However I identify, I'm looking for that item, I'm going to go buy it. And that's how it needs to be because I think, and this just comes back to the brands need to look at their brand system. They need to look at themselves and their structure and redesign that in order to serve this more fluid audience. Um, that's a starting point. I mean, you can put a non-binary trans uh, person in your ad. Fantastic. That's a starting place. That's the shop front. I'm like, what is the back end saying? What's it doing? So that's where, for me, I think the harder work needs to be done. But yeah, they're starting with a shop front. Fair enough. I get why. Are we moving past uh, non-binary fashion just being um, shades of shapeless beige? Um, I, I hope so. <laughs> I, but I think then it comes back to this point. Stop trying to design for a specific non-binary audience by giving them a category in your collection and assuming stuff and actually just stop saying it's male and female and just say, it's a skirt, it's a shirt, it's a pair of jeans. Get your sizing right. And that's something actually Speedo have started doing. Get your sizing right that is more fluid so that if I identify, however I identify, if I identify as male, but I feel like wearing a skirt, I can just go by that skirt. Because this is my issue. They're trying to prescribe what they what you should be wearing as a non-binary person and, and therefore defining your identity for you. It's the other way around. Put the power back in the consumer. Let the consumer browse freely this collection and actually define their identity through your clothes. And that and that expression can come through that way, if that makes sense anyway. No, it does. And, and, and it, it's funny you say browse freely and define your identity in that. I know we, we've sort of, uh, when we did a podcast before, it was with um, uh, uh, Katie, who was at, at Depop at Depop, the time. Depop, yeah. Um, and it just made me think of Depop, because when I look for stuff on Depop, you kind of have to just browse through sort of everything. You're not defined mm. by any one thing. So it's more like looking for a specific item, really, and then kind of being like, yeah will that fit me i like the style of that thing yeah you're searching pink corset whoever you are and whoever the seller is i I was i was searching pink corset you're right okay we we should really not talk about this but anyway (laughs) um (laughs) no exactly it's exactly that so yeah it's uh yeah you're just you're just trying to uh yeah find bits of your identity right and and discover things and yeah and it's all a big, big pile and that's the role that the brand plays is that in enabling and facilitating expression, not prescribing. So they need to kind of take a back seat and just provide and be a facilitator. I think that's the role that brands need to have at the moment. They're doing this like we stand for all genders, marginalized genders. Woo, we're putting them in our ad. Fantastic. I mean, that's the lowest hanging fruit. I'm like, let's let's see if you've got skin in the game. Let's get into the deeper way that you can change your system, your brand in the back end. 
good stuff. Well, that, that seems like a really good point on, on which to end, but we'll we'll stick uh, a load of stuff in the show notes as well. So, yeah. uh, you know, the report and anything else you yeah. want to, uh, Brian, share the mic and whatever else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for coming on the, the, me. the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Thanks so much for having me as always. Thanks, Ronnie.